0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are in Exodus. Uh chapter twenty-nine this morning. No. Well, we're we're I'm preaching twenty-nine, so <laughs> <clears throat> Exodus chapter twenty-nine. Let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and uh, Lord, we ask for your blessing on our service this morning. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us through your holy word, Lord God, that you would have your way in this place. Uh, Father, we ask and pray, Lord, that you would um, have free reign, Lord, in our hearts and in our lives uh, to move as you see fit, Lord, um, to do whatever it is that you are seeking to do, Lord, and we would be pliable in your hands, uh, Lord, that we would be willing um, to be broken upon the rock of Jesus Christ, Lord over and over, uh, if need be, uh, Lord, and that we would just uh, seek your face, uh, Lord, in this life and in this world. When we become lost and, and uh, tossed to and fro, Lord, uh, on, on, on so often as we do, Lord, on the seas of life, we pray, Lord, that we would seek um, Jesus, Lord, uh, the one who walks on the water in the midst of the storm, that we would seek his face and find refuge in him, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would continually be renewing us uh, and changing us, transforming us from the inside out, Lord, conforming us into the image of your Son, and that you'd have uh, your way in us, Lord. And we would always be seeking to be in your service in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, Exodus chapter 9 is, is uh, I- interesting. It's a fascinating uh, chapter. Um because of what it speaks uh, to us, I believe. Um, let's read through. We're gonna. I'm gonna go as far as verse 21. So let's read verses 1 to 21, and then we'll kind of uh, we'll try to take it apart from there. And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. you shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. <clears throat> and Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod, and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them, The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting." You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with pieces And with its head, with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram, and take some of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron... And on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron, and on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. That's what we're going to stop this morning. But here we have the consecration of Aaron and his sons into the priesthood. This is the beginning of the priesthood. This is the beginning of the sacrificial system. Uh, or At this point, really, this is Moses explaining, or God explaining this to Moses, rather, how this is going to happen. We're not quite there yet. Um, remember, you know, God is showing all of this to Moses and revealing all of this to Moses and giving Moses all of these laws and all of these statutes while he's up on the mountain you know we have this this miraculous event where Moses is on the mountain for you know 80 days uh and God miraculously sustains him uh as he's giving him the law and he's delivering all of this to him and then the timeline of things as this is going on it's during that time that the people begin to say you know as for this Moses we don't even know what's become of him, you know. I mean, look at the mountain, for heaven's sakes. It's entirely on a smoke, you know. How are we to know that he's going to even come back? And who uh, then steps forward uh, or is you know, kind, of, kind of pressed into it, but he himself steps forward to make a golden uh, calf for the people of Israel, but Aaron. You know, while Moses is up on the mountain and God is explaining to him how Moses, or how Aaron rather and his sons are going to be consecrated into the priesthood, and all of the, of, the, of the holiness and the perpetuity of it and, and how, you know, this is something that his family is going to be set aside and how deep and meaningful all of this is. Aaron's down below making a golden calf for the people to worship and proclaiming, Hero Israel, are your gods which brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, you cannot think of something more blasphemous or more disrespectful or just mean that you could do to God than what Aaron does with the children of Israel while Moses is on the mountain receiving the law of consecration for Aaron and his sons. And that is another picture for you and me. And and so much of what is in the Old Testament, when when God is dealing with the children of Israel, is a looking glass for you and I. And I don't mean a looking glass like something to look through and magnify something else. I mean like a mirror. Right? Right? So much of what we see in the children of Israel, so much in what we see even of the ones consecrated by God into his service, we see in us. You know, you know that God has called you for a purpose and we know that God has a plan for our lives and that God has something specific for each one of us to do. And how often is it that we find ourselves in a fleshly place, you know, in a dark, fleshy place where we're saying to ourselves, how did I get here? And how far I feel from the presence of God. And yet God knows exactly what's going on while he's telling Moses all of these things. While he's giving Moses all of these commandments. God knows exactly what's going on. God knows exactly where the hearts of the people are. God knows exactly where Aaron and his sons are at. and Where their hearts are at. And yet he never falters. He never stops and throws up his hands and says, you know what, Moses, you don't even know what's going on down there, but I've had it. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. That's it. You know, I mean, if you knew what Aaron is doing right now, and when Moses finally goes, comes down off the mountain, when God tells him to go down because the people are sinning, and he goes down and he hears, you know, there's a sound of war in the camp. No, it's a sound of revelry and they're down there and they're worshiping the golden calf and they're engaging in all sorts of uh um you know horrible practices and they're it's party central down at the bottom of mount sinai where god has called the children of israel to come and to learn of his ways. And to understand his laws and his statutes. And of course remember before this. Before Moses goes up on the mountain. Remember when, when, when God, the people are presented. With this is what God is going to command of you. Remember what the people's response was. All that the Lord has commanded us we will do. All that the Lord has commanded us. And then Moses disappears up onto the mountain. And after a while they're like. Oh, they have sundials. but if, uh, Where's Moses. This is ridiculous. And they completely lose heart. And Aaron goes along with it. And when Moses comes down off the mountain and he says to Aaron, What are you doing? What is this thing that you've done? You know, the strangest thing happened, Mo. I took all the gold the people gave me and I threw it in the fire and out jumped this calf. Can you imagine Moses? You know what I'm saying? Ripping his hair out. Like, are you kidding me? Like this is the high priest of the nation of Israel and he's telling Moses, I threw all this gold into the fire and look, out jumped this golden calf. God is aware of every single thing that's taking place in the heart of Aaron and his sons and the people of Israel while he's giving this and God never falters. God never falters because why? God remains faithful and this is some of the best news you will ever hear as a born-again Bible-believing Christian, is that God remains faithful when we are faithless. And so often we find ourselves faithless. You know, we, we, the, the, one of the most surprising things to me is how surprised we get when we screw up. Like, I'm better than this. No, you're not. I know, but no, you don't. <laughs> God knows us, and the scripture talks about these things. He knows our framework. He knows that we're dust. You know what I mean? It's like, gee, thanks, you know. No, but He does. He knows what we're of. You know, I love the portion of scripture when when Jesus is being, you know, he's receiving accolades from all from men because of all the miracles that he's doing, and that portion, that period of time, and that point in Jesus' ministry when everyone was was just like in just absolutely amazed by him, rightfully so, and 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 there was, he was like a superstar for this short period of time before people began to listen to his teachings and decide we don't like any of this, right? And I love that portion of scripture what, what, that Jesus wouldn't receive any of the praises of men because he knew what was in the heart of men. And he knew that this same, these same people, these same people that were saying, this he has got to be the Messiah. I think he's the Messiah. We're going to be the ones who are going to be later shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And we're going to turn away. God is never surprised. And God's plan continues Firm, solid, steadfast. That's why the Bible talks about our faith being built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And speaks of it in terms of it being a foundation of rock and of stone. That don't, you know, the, the, Jesus said, those people who, who take these words of mine and hear them and put them into practice in their lives are going to be like a, the man who took uh, and built his house upon a rock. And the rain and the winds and the waves and all these things came against his house. And the house stood because it was on a rock. But the the person who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is going to be like the person who took and built their house upon the sand. And when the rain came and the wind came and the waves rose, the house fell and great was its crash. And so there's this rock, the faith, the true faith is a rock and is a foundation. And we need to have a firm foundation. We need our faith to be built upon the foundation. You know, when I talk to people and I, and I meet people who, uh, you know, I used to believe in God. I, you know, work, work job that I was on this week and... And, and the guy that I, was taking, that I was sent to minister to, he didn't know this. <laughs> and I didn't know beforehand. But the guy that was taking me around the job that I had been sent there to minister to, I don't know what good it did, but I tried, right? Hopefully the Lord was with me. And this, is, this was his testimony. I used to believe in God. I used to believe in God. But then a loved one became sick and died. And I thought, how can a loving God allow this to happen? And I was thinking to myself, I didn't say it to him, because he would have been like, what what are you talking about? Your foundation was never built on the rock. Your foundation was never built upon the rock, if you could be shaken by that. The faith that we have, or the faith that we are called to have in the belief in Jesus Christ, is on the very nature of who God is. The, The circumstances that surround our lives and the things that happen, or that we are exposed to, or or that we become victims of in this life, in this world, are are purely circumstantial. You know, when the Bible says God works all things for the good of those that are called according to His purpose, you know, you can have, you know, you have your walk with with the Lord, and 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 this is this is what I believe. Okay, this is where this is where I come from. I don't believe. That God is intimately involved in every aspect of your life, and what I mean by that is this: Don't before you go, heretic! You know, I, I don't think that when I wake up in the morning and I go in to brush my teeth, because it's like, oh, you know, oh, it's so bad. I go to brush. I don't think God's like, okay, listen, up and down, not side to side. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that God is of. Oh Lord, help me to brush properly this morning. I think that God has given man dominion over the world initially. We, in turn, forfeited that to Satan. And we are born into this world. And we are a part of this world. Our flesh is. Our bodies are. And we are going to experience the ebbs and flows of life in this world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's, you know what, because that's life. I don't think that things always happen to you for a specific purpose and reason. I don't think God is looking down and going, cancer, cancer. This is my, this is my belief. You can, you can completely disagree and that's fine. I think that, that, that within each one of us we have our DNA and we're predisposed to certain diseases or sicknesses or ailments. When the Bible says God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose, what I think what I believe that that means is, is regardless of the things that are going to befall you in this life and in this world, just because of it being this life and this world and your DNA and whatever all the circumstances are, God will use that to your glory. You understand what I'm saying? That God will use those things that happen in your life to draw you closer to Him. God will use those things in your life to allow you to see Him in a greater way. I don't, I don't believe that that, that, that that God is, 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 is saying, let this one die, let this one live, let this one die. He certainly, and has throughout time interceded in history in people's lives in a miraculous way he has changed the courses and he has the right to do so correct he has the right to do so but i don't think that every single thing we live in a fallen world we are a part of a fallen broken system because of sin Everything that, around, you know, God, goodness gracious, when I see, you know, you know, Trump is God's president. Are you kidding me? And I'm not, I'm not bashing Donald Trump. He's God's president. God doesn't need a president. You know what I'm saying? God, God, take your pet turtle and lead the nation with it if he wants to. God doesn't need this one of the, oh, we got to do this or God can't do this or God can't do that. Are you kidding me? He is so far above and beyond this world and the political systems of this world as far as you are above an anthill I mean and and eons and millennia beyond that God doesn't need us at all so when we see God reach down stoop down and intercede in our lives and minister to us and say I want you to have fellowship and relationship with me understand And at least attempt, futilely probably, all of us. Because we can't fully understand or grasp the magnitude of that. The magnitude of that. That God would condescend to us. And in spite of our wickedness and the darkness of all of our hearts. He would use us. And that we would be sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. And it's awe-inspiring. And it's heavy duty, right? Heavy, heavy, heavy duty. So here's God understanding what's going on with Aaron. Understanding what's going on in the, in the lives. Of, and he's looking right past all of that. He's looking right past the golden calf. He's looking right past the wickedness and the iniquity and the sins of the people. And he's looking to Aaron and his sons are going to be consecrated and they're going to need this they're really going to need these sacrifices let's let's do this right moses because they're really going to need this first this is what you shall do to them to hallow them or to make them holy for ministering to me as priests first it's a young bull now there's going to be a young bull and there's going to be two rams All without blemish. That's the first thing to understand and know about the sacrifices is that God expected people to offer up their best. Because and he was specific about this because he knows how people are. Alright? Well, I gotta I gotta sacrifice one of these lambs to to the Lord. Uh, I think the one with three legs and one eye. That's probably I'll go ahead and offer that one up, you know. And God says, No, I want the best. I want always the best that you have to offer. I want the best of what you have, the best of who you are, the best of what you possess. That's what I want you to offer to me, the very best, without blemish. It will be without spot, without blemish. Without spot and without blemish entails two things. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, a lamb or a goat or a bull that was born without a natural defect, And also one who has not acquired a defect through some outward circumstance. Okay, It fell and broke its leg and now it's got a a, a bump there with a bone healed. Not not good enough. That's not going to work. It's got to be without spot. It's got to be without blemish. Along with the bull and the two rams, you have the unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, And unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Now, of course, the unleavened bread, the unleavened cakes, the unleavened wafers are a picture for us of that bread without leaven. Leaven, of course, is a picture of sin. We've talked about this. And so it's the unleavened bread, and then it's mixed or anointed with oil. And oil is always, of course, a picture for us of the Holy Spirit. You have the lampstand that God uh, uh, directed Moses to build what we call the menorah. And it was continually to be fed with the purest crushed olive oil to feed the lamp so that it burned continually before the Lord in his presence. Continually fed with oil, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the day of Pentecost? It's not coincidence. It's not coincidence. The Holy Spirit comes and says there's like cloven tongues of fire above their heads. You understand what God was doing there? Each one of them was like a little menorah lampstand. Hey! That's what God was doing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit and the, and the picture of the fire above their heads. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. And the menorah is a picture of that. So, uh, you have the unleavened cakes mixed with oil and the un- unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Put them in a basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and two rams. Now, the first thing is all of the priestly garments, uh, excuse me, the first thing is going to be Aaron and his sons are going to be bathed, they're going to be washed, they're going to be cleansed, they're going to be cleaned on the outside, okay? You remember, of course, when, when, when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, uh, and, and he comes to Peter, and Peter says, you will never wash my feet, you know, it's like it's beneath you, Jesus. And remember, of course, Jesus says, unless you let me wash your feet, then you have no part in this ministry, and, Jesus says, and Peter goes, well, then wash my whole body. It's like, oh, Peter, Peter, stop. You know, you're, you're creeping everybody out, first of all. You know, we're, we're trying to have a meal here, you know. But Jesus, remember what he said, a person who's already had a bath does not need another one. And remember, he also told the disciples that all of you are clean except one, right, which was Judas Iscariot. All of you are clean. And so there's a ceremonial washing which, which represents a cleansing of the outward man, okay? A cleansing of the outward man. God expects us to be cleansed by his power, and by his blood, by his Holy Spirit. So they're cleansed, they're washed, and then all of the priestly garments are put on them. And he goes through the list. Uh, <clears throat> you shall Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door, verse 4, of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. You shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe, the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head, put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. And so there's the cleansing, there's the, there's the dressing them in the, in the pure garments, uh, the intricately woven things that God had directed uh, the people to make for Aaron and his sons, and then the anointing of oil. Now, uh, verse 10, you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. So every time we see this, where Aaron and his sons, the priests, are taking their hands and putting them on the sacrifice. There's a transference there, and, and, it's, and, it's, a, and it's a spiritual transference. We're, we're taught clearly in the book of Hebrews that all of this is symbolic, right? That all the blood of rams and bulls and goats and sheep and, and oxen and turtle dove could never atone for sin, could never atone for sin. It had to be continually offered and continually offered continually offered until Jesus Christ came. All of it was accepted by God, but it was symbolic. It was a symbolic thing, and so is this. They're not actually transferring their sins to the bull. If only it were that easy, right? You, know, I mean, could you imagine you could just walk down and be like, "Hey," and you know, smack the dog, and it's on you now, buddy. You know? you know, that's not the way it works. This is a symbolic thing. This is a deep symbolic thing. Okay, it's not the actual bull. Okay, it's a picture here. That they're putting their hands on the sacrifice and transferring their sins and the sins of the people. Remember, they're bearing the names of the sons of the twelve tribes of Israel on their very bodies. And they're transferring their sins and the sins of the people, in this case, this is for Aaron and his sons, to the bull in a spiritual sense. And now the bull is going to be offered as a sin offering for Aaron and his sons. A sacrifice Because the Bible says, without the shedding of innocent blood, there can be no remission of sins. There has to be a shedding of innocent blood. There has to be bloodletting for the forgiveness of sins. So, then you shall, verse 11, kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. It's a lot of blood. I, any of you who are hunters who have ever, have ever uh, I remember the first time I ever gutted a deer. It wasn't even mine, it was Brad's. when We were out hunting and he shot a deer. I mean, he massacred the thing. He, he used to hunt with like a three fifty seven. Anyway, um, he, then he didn't know what to do because none of us, it was our first time that we'd ever been out deer hunting and, and nobody would ever gutted a deer before. We're going to be talking a lot about blood, okay, so you might as well get used to it. And, and, we're, and, we're, and it was like me, I think it was me and, and Brad and Adam, and we're standing around this deer, and we're like, now what? And I remember from the hunter safety course, they taught you how to, how to dress out a deer. I was not prepared, though. I'd never cut open, other than maybe a fish, a living beast like that. And you're not prepared, uh, for all the blood and the steam that I mean, it poured out of this, and it, it, it stinks, you know, and it, it's like a weird smell. And I and I ne- I never forget that first time that I dressed out. There is so much blood. Like when we get deep into the sacrificial system, it is an absolute. It is a slaughterhouse. Okay, around the, around the altar and around the place of sacrifice. It is an absolute slaughterhouse. The, here's the priestly garments. And you think and you close your mind and say, oh, the white and the glowing. Yeah, you know, remember, oh, and, 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 and no, no, and he covered in blood. The blood is everywhere. You don't, you don't do these jobs and not get blood on you. Like the blood is everywhere. And a, a bull, big animal, big blood, right? And then they got to this bowl. It's a lot of blood. And some of it is sprinkled on the horns of the altar, right? Which is, which is brass there. It's a symbol of judgment, God's judgment. The blood is put on the horns of the altar. And then the rest of the blood is poured all around the altar. Poured all around. Now, let's see what he does with the rest of it. Um, and you shall then take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar okay so the insides of the bull the insides of the full and and the and the fatty lobes why the why the fatty lobes i don't know you know i like fat on my steak i don't know i don't know i don't know what, what god's exact purpose is for the fatty lobes but the insides of the bull are taken and offered on the altar as a burnt offering okay now this is interesting Verse 14, but the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal or dung, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. And so the blood is shed and taken from the bull. It's put on the horns of the altar and poured all around the outside of the altar. The entrails are taken out and offered as a burnt offering and all of the outward, Owl of the outward, the flesh of the bull and its dung are taken outside of the camp and burned. And so what is God saying? What is God showing us here? Uh, to me, it's as simple as this. It's what's on the inside. It's what's on the inside. God is interested in your heart. You know, in this case, in your kidneys. <laughs> and, you, and again, symbolic, symbolic. I don't think God's up there going, oh, I love a good kidney roast. You know, he's above and beyond all of that. I mean, who likes kidney roast, right? But it's symbolic, the inside of the sacrifice. What's on the inside? The blood is all shed, and what's inside the bull is offered to God. And everything that is the flesh of the bull, the outside of the bull, is taken outside of the camp, which, of course, is where Jesus Christ was sacrificed, outside of the gates. He was taken and he was offered there as a sacrifice for our sins. And so all of that is taken out. Now this is the sin offering okay? that's offered on behalf of Aaron and his sons. Now, verse 15. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons, here we go again with this this symbolism, shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it, all around the altar now it's interesting because we don't have a pouring out of all the blood of the ram around the altar we have a sprinkling we have a sprinkling and the bible talks about this sprinkling and it's similar uh, to uh, a bath versus a foot washing now it's a sprinkling for atonement it's atonement you know jesus christ the bible says died once for all right you know, and I've always, I don't know how, where you are in your faith, but, and, you know, we have our superstitions and our things that we, that we think about, and oh, I wonder, if God, you know, and I'm always, am I supposed to be asking God for forgiveness? Like, Jesus died on the cross for all of my sins, right? I don't know if you ever get in your head like this, past, present, and future. So am I supposed to say, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of sins, thank you for forgiving me for this, or should I ask again? I always ask again, just to be safe, Right? Lord, please forgive me. I know I'm already forgiven, but please, you know, forgive me. Just in case there's a spot that got missed, you know what I mean? Just in case there's a piece, just in case there's one thing that's still filthy, please forgive me of that and cover me for that. I know I'm forgiven for all my sins, but I'm constantly, constantly, I want this sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I understand I've been saved. I understand I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I understand I've been made holy and sanctified by His blood. But I continually need the sprinkling. And thank God the Word says that He sits at the right hand of the Father forever to make intercession for us. In a sense, they're continually sprinkling us with His blood. Uh, and so, the second ram is sacrifice. Notice, its blood is sprinkled all around the altar... Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, uh, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, the bull, which was the sin offering, all of its blood was poured out. It's, it's, it's the rest of it, uh, well, there's blood was put on the horns, the rest of it was poured out around the altar, its insides were burnt, and all of the outside of the bull, and its offal, is taken outside the camp and burned, okay? The sin has been atoned for. This is the sin offering. Now we have a burnt offering, okay? Sin has been dealt with, sin has been atoned for, now we have the burnt offering. And this ram is taken, sacrificed, its blood sprinkled, and you wash the entrails and the legs, and you, and and so that no there's no like you know leftover offal in on on the hindquarters of the thing, and you cut it up. But think of the scene, still guys. And you chop it up, and there's the head, and there's the leg, and and then all of that, the entirety of the ram, is burned before the Lord as a burnt offering. All of it is given. You see now. All of it is offered up. And and, and while the sacrifices always point us to Jesus Christ, in a sense, it also points us sometimes to ourselves. Because we are what? Living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable. Like, we are living sacrifices before the Lord. And so sin has been atoned for, and so now this burnt offering in its entirety offered up before the Lord. All of it is acceptable. God can use all of it. Okay? All of it belongs to God. And he wants all of it. The sin offering, all of what was on the outside, the flesh of the bull, take it outside the camp and burn it. Now, sin has been dealt with. The ram, all of it. All of it is given to God. All of it is offered to God. And all of it is received and accepted by God. Okay? Now, verse 19 "...you shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram again. Then you shall kill the ram, and take some of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar." And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Now now, now picture Aaron and his sons at this point in time where they will be and what they'll be looking like in this process. As they've been going through and sacrificing the bull and the first ram and now the second ram is sacrificed, mixed with oil, the blood is mixed with oil, and sprinkled on Aaron. So If they weren't covered in blood already. Here they are. Remember when John is on the island of Patmos, and he's taken in the Spirit into the heavenly places, and he stands before the throne of God, and remember, who is worthy? Who is worthy to loose the seals of the scroll? Who is worthy? And he says, Then I look, and I saw, and it was a lamb, appearing to have been slain. And Jesus Christ, in some spiritual way, in some way that we'll never understand, I don't think, until we actually see him, will always bear the marks of slaughter. And so here we have the priest in all of his, 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 his priestly garments, these, these intricately woven and gold and all of the detail and the fineness of it, and sprinkled with blood and oil on him. Just sprinkled with blood and oil. Him and his sons. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And so now the blood is taken also. And it's put on the right ear. The right thumb. And the right big toe. And, and most, most scholars kind of agree. They're being consecrated. What they hear. What they do with their hands. Where they stand and where they go. Is consecrated now unto the Lord. It's not their own but it's consecrated unto the Lord. And think of what Aaron was going to hear, what Aaron was going to do with his hands, and the places that Aaron was going to go. And of course, no doubt, once this finally takes place, actually, where Aaron had been, you know, you wonder, when the day comes and Aaron and his sons are standing before the tabernacle, getting ready for this consecration, if if Aaron's just thinking of that golden calf. Like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I hope this goes well. I hope this goes well. But it's from that day forward, sin is atoned for, fellowship with God is established, and the consecration happens where Aaron and his sons are put into the service of God. Now, it's interesting in the scriptures the only other place, the only other place in the scripture where the Bible talks about this same ceremonial taking of the blood and putting it on the right ear, on the right thumb, and the right toe. I don't know if you can guess. I don't know if you would. If I hadn't studied on it this week, I wouldn't. Is when a leper is healed of leprosy. And he goes to the priest to offer the sacrifice. This same thing was done for the leper. The leper who had been cured by God, healed by God of leprosy. Now, as you go through scriptures and you see the instances of leprosy, um, it, it's a picture of Pride. It is a picture of pride. Is it is a picture of rebellion? You know, later on in the book of in the book of Numbers, <clears throat> excuse me, Numbers chapter twelve. Uh, if you're going if you recall, Miriam begins to grumble against Moses, uh, and largely because he had taken another wife. He had taken an Ethiopian wife. and Apparently, Miriam didn't like her, uh, and so she was co- grumbling and complaining against Moses. And remember, God like, see, speaks to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and says, appear before the tabernacle. Appear before me at the tabernacle. Now! You know what I mean? All, all you can think of is, you know, I remember in, you know, in, in grade school, oh, uh, we need Frank Thomas to <laughs> come to the administrator's office. Oh, uh, you know, here we go again. You know, you must, God's voice comes out, and they're in their hearts, however, and Aaron and Miriam and Moses, God says... The three of you. The tabernacle. Now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, oh boy, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I got all sorts of three stooges, you know, pictures in my mind. <laughs> you know. And they stand before there and God speaks. And he speaks to Miriam. I speak to Moses face to face. And I set him apart and he's my guy. How is it you were not afraid to speak against the Lord's anointed? and 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 the it's the presence of god comes down in the cloud and when the cloud ascends Miriam's standing there the bible says leprous as white as snow like that means all of her skin is dead all of it and flaked she's as white as snow and of course Mary, uh moses and aaron cry out to the lord on her behalf lord please heal her and he does but that's what rebellion looks like. That's what going your own way. That's what, that's what I don't like the way God's doing things. That's how it looks to God. You Remember when Jesus is talking to the people of Israel, and they're about one, of the, one of the times that they pick up stones to stone them, is when he says, all the, all the, on all those kingdom years in the nation of Israel, and all the Israelites, all the Jewish people who had leprosy, there's only one who was ever healed, and it was Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the Syrian. And so you read about uh, in in, in, in uh, I think it's in second Second Chronicles. No, that's in Second Kings. Second Kings, where Naaman is sent because his in his house they have a, a servant girl who was an Israelite girl who'd been captured, and Naaman is this valiant man, this great noble man, and yet he has leprosy. And so the servant girl says, "Hey, if he goes to Israel, there's a prophet, there's a man of God in Israel. He could be healed." And, of course, you remember Naaman is this, you know, and the Bible calls him as this noble and just man, this, 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 this good man, and a valiant man. And he goes to the nation of Israel, and he goes to the prophet, and, and Elisha doesn't even come outside the house. You know, he says this, what is that? It's Naaman, the Syrian commanders of the army, you know. And Elisha's like, go down to the river. Wash yourself seven times. I'm busy, you know. Naaman is furious. He is in, the Bible says he's enraged. He's in a rage. I know what that feels like. My kids know what that looks like. He's in a rage. Why? I wonder what Elisha's hut looked like. It wasn't a palace. And what Elisha spoke like. I always picture the voice of probably similar to what Paul sounded like. And he said his voice was, "Mm," you know, "Mm." And here I am, Naaman, and I've come all this way for your help. And you won't even come out to speak with me. Go to the river and wash seven times. And he's in a rage. And as he's going along the way, his servants come to him because they love their master. And they say, Naaman, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? So if he says, wash, then please wash. So Naaman begrudgingly goes down to the Jordan River, he washes seven times, and the leprosy has gone. And he's humbled, and he comes back to the house of Elisha, and he says, I know that there's no other God other than the God of Israel now, and he's the only one with the power to heal. And he makes all these declarations. In fact, he even says, when I'm with the king and we have to go into that false idol, that false temple, I have to hold his hand and I have to bow with him when he bows. But I'm not going to mean it. I'm not going to mean it. And Elisha says, go in peace. But there's that pride of Naaman that had to be dealt with. And what a picture, what a symbol we have there of the leprosy, of that pride, of that wickedness. And interestingly enough, when God heals a person of leprosy, the same thing is done to that person as is done with Aaron and his sons to be consecrated into the priesthood. I love it. I love it. This is something we've got to see in ourselves. The pride that's there. You know, so often, even our faith I, and, I, and you can look back maybe in your walk with Jesus Christ. So many of the times in my Christian walk, the things in my Christian walk that I was so determined in and so stalwart in ended up being nothing more than my own pride. It wasn't something that God had said, this is what I want you to do, son. This is what I want you to do. It was something that I was doing because I, in my arrogance and pride, I was going to do this thing for God. And I tell you, it was evidenced a whole bunch of times by how I treated other people who didn't do it. Or who weren't feeling that same calling of God to do this or not do that. And how I would feel towards those people. Probably not even saved, you know. Boy, and God showed me over the years, man, so much of what you call service in your life is really just immersed in your own pride. In your own pride. Can Can you just expect nothing? Can you just serve God and love Jesus and whatever comes, whether you're lifted up or whether you're abased, and no matter what happens, can you just continue to serve me and love me because I'm worthy of it? Does it have to be your way? Can people disagree with you? Can people say, I think a lot of what you say stinks and not have you freak out? Oh, that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow. I think it's an important one. I just want to be in his service. I know my sins have been atoned for. I know they have. And I know that I have fellowship with God. Not quite sure where I'm at with that third ram. But I want to be full in. I do. I want to be full in. I want to be anointed. I want that blood on my ear and my thumb and my big toe. That's what I want. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and Lord for uh, all the pictures of, of Jesus Christ and our relationship and walk with you that you give us, Lord, through the old covenant. We're so grateful for that, Lord. We're grateful that we're not under it, Lord. We're, we're thankful that we don't have to have fifty bulls in here right now, Lord, and uh, you know be, be, be shedding blood, but that Jesus Christ is our sacrifice, and once and for all time, He died in the cross, and and in Him, Lord, we have. the the symbolism of the bull and both of the rams, Lord. And we believe that we've been forgiven of our sins and we believe that we have fellowship with you, Lord. We want to be consecrated, Lord. We want to be put fully into your service, Lord. We want to hold nothing back uh, from you, Lord God. And so we pray, Lord, that in your good time and and in accordance with your perfect will and the great love that you have for us and for the people that you want us to minister to, Lord, we pray that you would bring us to that place, Lord, of, of complete and total sacrifice of our of ourselves, Lord, to you in consecration. Uh not be, out of our own religious pride, uh, Lord, or arrogance, but just by that gentle, beautiful moving of your Holy Spirit in this in us, Lord. Bring us to bring us to the cross, Father, we ask. Uh, conform us into the image of your Son, we ask and pray. Um, we love you. Father, we pray that you would bless the rest of our day together, uh, Lord, our our second service be with our pastor as he speaks to us lord and that you would encourage us through him we pray father that you would um make this place always father a place of solitude and a place of rest lord for people who would come here that people can come here and be encouraged uh challenged and convicted lord always lord and uh that we would never make um any kind of agreements with sin or um or compromise the word of God ever, Father, but always this place would be a place where grace and more mercy pours out, uh, Lord, and where we, f- where we feel loved, um, Lord, accepted and, and encouraged uh, and even challenged and exhorted, Lord, by one another, Lord, but that you would just have your perfect way in us, Lord, in our fellowship together. Uh, we thank you for all you've done, for all you're doing, and for all you're going to do, and we just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be those Uh, virgins that that, that had plenty of oil left over in their lamps, Lord. So when the bridegroom comes and we hear that trumpet sound, Father, we are ready to jump. And we are ready to go, Lord, and be with you. Father, help us to be where you need us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Thanks, guys.